0: Coming up on the Keto Camp podcast, we welcome back Megan Ramos.
1: If you think of calories as spending dollars for the body, at first you reduce by like 30%, and your body still figuring out how to function on 30% less salary. But over time it does. It cuts expenses from reproduction, it cuts expenses from respiratory function, from cognitive function, from all areas. And the body acclimates and it stays there and it's like, okay, You know, this is the the new energy intake for the day. This is what we're doing every day and no changes happen. And you sort of hit a wall. So people who do calorie restriction diets, they lose weight at first, but then they stop. And then they start to feel like garbage because their body is running out of reduced capacity. And we see a lot of people who have significant weight loss to lose that start doing OMAD think, hey, 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 this is great. I get used to it. I'm only hungry once a day now anyways but they're they're just taking in one meal worth of food. We do find that they start to slow down, that they stop losing weight, that they start gaining weight even. So it's like their body's just totally acclimating and it is slowing down. We're not getting that activation of the sympathetic nervous system like we would if people were doing alternate daily fasting.
0: Hey, Keto Camper. I'm super excited to welcome back a pioneer in the fasting keto space, Megan Ramos. If you remember, she was on episode 103 of the Keto Camp Podcast, where we talked about strategies for intermittent fasting, how to break a weight loss plateau. Should women practice fasting differently than men? and so much more. So if you haven't heard that episode, we're gonna link that in the notes of this podcast. It's episode 103 of the keto Camp podcast. On today's episode, it is straight fire. We discuss somebody who is a beginner interested in fasting. How do you just stop snacking? We talk about strategies for that. We talk about common symptoms that happen during fasting and keto, like why you feel cold during a fast, why your breath might stink during fasting, why you might get a headache, and the common complaints that are out there when you practice fasting, and not just that, the solutions for each one. We also get this into some advanced fasting strategies. Megan and their fasting method program has a great fasting protocol called a 30-16 alternate day fasting protocol, and she's gonna outline how that works. I think this is a great method to change things up and to just accelerate autophagy and fat loss with your fasting schedule. So can't wait to bring Megan back on the show. You're gonna love it. She's just a wealth of information and I always enjoy my conversations with her. Before I do, I wanna thank you so much for choosing the Keto Camp Podcast out of all the shows out there. You chose this one and we're super grateful. We have been ranked as a top 15 podcast here in the United States alternative health category. And you know what? We couldn't have done that without your support. So thank you so much. Out of all the shows out there, you chose this one to listen to right now. And we are super grateful. Our mission here at Keto Camp is to educate and to inspire 1 billion people on planet Earth. I wanna take this minute here to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Hora, 63 titled, 70 pounds and seven inches on waist. This is a fantastic podcast. I transitioned to keto seven months ago and have dropped 70 pounds and went from my 40 inch waist to a 33 inch waist. With the help of KetoCamp, I've incorporated fasting regimens and the ketosis diet. Oh my gosh, MJ, congratulations. 70 pounds in seven months? That is such an accomplishment. First of all, I acknowledge you, not only for educating yourself on these powerful ancient healing strategies, keto and fasting, but also taking action because the world rewards action takers, not intention takers. I'm so proud of you. I'm grateful to play any role in your extraordinary transformation. Congratulations and just keep up the amazing work. If you haven't left the Keto Camp Podcast, a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, please take this second to pause the episode and do so right now. Ratings and reviews are the lifeline and oxygen of podcast shows. We put a lot of energy and resources and money into the show, the production, and making sure we release two brand new episodes every week. And just by you leaving an honest rating and review, it could help this show get into more hands. And I want to entice you even further by giving you a free signed copy of my best-selling fasting book. When you leave a rating and review, take a screenshot of that rating and review on Apple Podcast, email that screenshot to support at ketocamp.com. Remember, that's camp with a K. Support at ketocamp.com with your shipping address in the United States only. And I will sign a copy of my fasting book and we'll send it out to you in the mail. I also wanna remind you that I have an upcoming webinar called The Art of Fasting. This is going to present to you the cutting edge research on fasting, the best ways to break a fast, the worst ways to break a fast, and just advanced strategies for practicing fasting. We do have limited spots available. It's a free webinar, but it's first come first serve. Head to benazadiwebinar.com and check out the next date, sign up for it, Everybody who attends the webinar will get over $200 worth in free gifts and digital downloads. That is benazadiwebinar.com. If you're struggling to find the right foods on your ketogenic lifestyle, I highly recommend you check out Kettle and Fire's new lineup of keto soups. They are delicious. They live up to my high standards of quality ingredients, and they'll help you accelerate your ketogenic results. Visit kettleandfire.com slash KetoCamp and use the coupon code KetoCamp at checkout for a 15% off. That is kettleandfire.com slash KetoCamp. Okay, let's welcome back the amazing Megan Ramos. Megan Ramos is the CEO and co-founder of the Fasting Method Program. She's a clinical educator and researcher. Megan's major role in the fasting method is to facilitate the patient's education on the fasting method dietary principles and counsel them on their fasting regimens. Megan, alongside with her colleague, Dr. Jason Fung, believe that both what you eat and when you eat matter. The fasting method utilizes therapeutic fasting and time-restricted eating protocols with their patients to help them reverse their type 2 diabetes and achieve sustainable weight loss. They encourage their patients to eat real foods and adopt a low-carb lifestyle in addition to the fasting. Okay, Keto Campers, I am super excited to bring on an amazing human being. Not only is she an incredible health practitioner who has such great experience in the space of fasting and keto and health in general, but I consider her a friend, a colleague, and she has been on the keto camp podcast once before and now she's back. Megan Ramos was on the keto camp podcast episode 103 where we talked about intermittent fasting strategies which we'll get into today as well, how to break a weight loss plateau, should women fast differently than men, and so much more. We also get into her story on that episode so you could listen to that on the keto camp podcast episode 103. Today, we're going to get into First, how do you even start um, fasting? How do you stop snacking? And then why it's important to change your fasting schedule. We're also going to get into common health complaints and side effects and what we can do about about that. And we're going to get into her brand new book. So without further ado, let's bring on the incredible woman of the hour, Megan Ramos. Hey, Megan.
1: Thanks, Ben. That's quite the introduction.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's well deserved. I'm happy to be here with you today.
1: Me too. Thank you. I'm always happy to chat with you.
0: We always have a good time. I see there's many Keto Camp Academy members watching here, and hey, feel free to post your questions in the chat box. We're going to do some Q and A towards the end here, but I want to start with this, Megan. For somebody who's just brand new to this space of low carb, high fat keto and fasting. They want to practice fasting, but they're having issues with just wrapping their mind around how can they go two hours, three hours, five hours without snacking in between meals. How do we stop snacking?
1: (laughs) So snacking is something that I think for anyone who's also part of the fasting method community or has been following me lately, it's sort of the, the thing that's driving me most mad. It's what I see in stopping people from making progress, but cutting out snacking, I think is just like the fundamentally the best thing you can do, whether whatever diet you're following, keto, carnivore, low carb, paleo, whatever diet it is. And even when you're fasting, it's so important to cut out snacking. So if you're brand new, if the idea of doing something like a 12, 14, 16 hour fast seems impossible. And even just going from like lunch to dinner seems impossible. You know, it's good to focus on just eating real whole foods at your meal, getting in plenty of fats, reducing your sugar and carb load at that meal. But in between just relying on some fluids, some water to help get you through having some, some bone broth or a low carb based vegetable broth. If you're really struggling and desiring for, a certain taste, Uh, having some herbal tea, if if that's a beverage that you do consume, and just utilizing these fluids. Mint, for example, has been widely used to help suppress appetite. So even adding in some fresh organic mint leaves from your own garden, that can make a really big difference and help you get through those those few hours. And I think when people are new to fasting, you know being able to make it from lunch to dinner, that's a big accomplishment and we we build upon small successes. We reach our big end goals by having a series of small successes along the way that help us build confidence. So not snacking is the number one place to start. So if you're new to fasting, And you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is overwhelming. Look at all those hours on the clock. You know, time's moving super slow right now. Just focus on going back to the basics and eating those three meals a day and just getting from meal to meal. And you'll build up confidence utilizing the fluids to help get you through. And once you build up those confidence, you'll slowly be able to cut out the meals and make more further small successes but the number one thing that like i see people cause them to regress plateau hit walls all that kind of jazz is snacking on their eating days so they wake up they have their coffee their tea their water whatever it is that they're choosing to have in the morning time and then like the clock strikes noon and it's game on for like seven hours of eating and people need to be mindful that you know insulin resistance is caused by two mechanisms not just one not just by carbs like these really like sugary highly refined and processed carbs that cause lots of insulin production and insulin surges but it's also caused in combination with the chronic secretion of insulin and when someone already has insulin resistance their system's full you're full of insulin. You're just <laughs> jam packed. Your cells are resistant, and even adding in a little bit of insulin. So people will say, "But it's macadamia nuts. It's you know, it's hard cheeses. It's it's a little bit of unprocessed meat. It's grass fed beef. It doesn't matter. Your body's still going to produce some insulin, and you're already in a severely insulin resistant state. So you need to cut out snacking and get back to the basics and go to meals. So even for beginners, or even for the majority of advanced fasters i see out there we can get great success by cutting out snacking and i just truly believe like if we just eliminated snacking eat those nuts with your meal eat that cheese with your meal if you eat dairy like do what you do but do it at your meals and don't snack in between it's a great place to get started and it's a great place to help troubleshoot and to help you reach your goals if you're already into your journey so far
0: well said. That, that's for anybody, whether you're advanced or not. The snacking is a killer. The pancreas is not designed to stimulate insulin throughout the day. Insulin is the only fat storage hormone in the body. And even if it's the healthiest keto snack, organic, free range, whatever it is, yeah. it's still going to give you that insulin spike. So you go from uh, being in a lean fasted state to now storing fat and you're burning out that those beta cells. And then overall, yeah. like you said, it leads to an issue. I love what you shared, Megan, about it's these small little changes that kind of compound over time, kind of like the compound effect. I always say that small tweaks lead to giant peaks, right? So yep. just making this small decision here to have your snacks, you could still have them, but have them with your meals and just have your three square meals to start. Yeah, That really puts you ahead of, of the curve here when you're ready to fast, because then you're building up this muscle and then you could start with the fasting. I, do you know if there's any research out there I've read some research from Professor Brian Peskin, who is an MIT researcher, and in his in his book, he said the pancreas is designed to produce um, insulin only about twice a day max. Do you know if there's any research around that? Does Dr. Fung have research there?
1: Yeah, I think we've got some blog posts actually up on on the subject, but we're really not designed, our pancreas is not designed to function to support us eating more than a couple of times a day. So we're absolutely burning out that pancreatic function when we're eating constantly throughout the day. And I've seen you post a lot about this, too lately, because when you asked about what, you, what I want to talk about, it's like, Ben, I share your passion, like eating all day long. It's just making us age faster. It's making us sicker. It's hurting our metabolic and cellular health. You know, we are just not designed to eat more than a couple of times a day.
0: Yeah, well said. And we'll find those articles and we'll put it in the notes. Rachel, our podcast notes person, will put it there. Okay, awesome. So now, they have cut out the snacking, Megan, and they're having their breakfast, their lunch, their dinner. Now they want to start fasting. What's the best way to adopt a fasting schedule?
1: I think most people feel comfortable cutting out breakfast as a first go-to and entering sort of what we see being uh, called the 16-8 sort of diet. But I don't like that but I like the 16 hour fast but I don't like the 8 hour part because we don't want to be eating for 8 hours we just want to be having lunch and having dinner in in that 8 hour window but most people will cut out breakfast and this works great if you're a type 2 diabetic for example because you know you'll see the dawn phenomenon in the morning so before we wake up we get production of some counter regulatory hormones we see our blood glucose levels go up and diabetics it's a sort of a substantial increase we call it the dawn effect or the dawn phenomenon where these blood sugar levels just start to, to surge. So it's good if you skip breakfast and get up and get moving, bring those blood glucose levels down, and then 16 hours you know, into your fast after being awake for a few hours, seeing the glucose come down, then introduce that first meal. The only time I would recommend that someone does keep breakfast and try to eliminate dinner instead is if they're really seeing high reverse T3 on their thyroid tests. I found that having breakfast really sort of blunting that cortisol effect in the morning time, we can see a dramatic reduction in reverse T3 levels. So we get more weight loss when we do eat breakfast in those particular individuals. But for most, the diabetics, traditional metabolic syndrome, most people cut out breakfast and they'll do the 16 hour fast with just having lunch and dinner. And people should try to do that every day because to build up that fasting muscle, you know, if you only go to the gym once a week, or, you know, once every few weeks, your muscles aren't going to get that stronger. It's the same with fasting. So because 16 hours is a mild fast, it's like stretching every day. And so you show up every day, do that stretch you know to get your fasting muscle in the groove and then once that becomes easy then cutting out lunch cutting out dinner depending on what works best for your schedule ideally you know, we encourage people to try to eat earlier in the day if they are going to eat we found it really impacts things like heart rate variability and sleep quality if they're eating too late into the evening time But some people prefer to have dinner not to disrupt the the family environment too much or they find it more difficult. So you would either cut out lunch or dinner and do a 24-hour fast sometimes I would really push lunch versus dinner as the meal on the fasting day or for the breakfast meal is if someone is sort of really struggling with that four to six o'clock window. Like we always, a lot of people always refer to that as their witching period. Like if they can get from four to six o'clock without eating, and we know that there's changes in adrenal hormones, there's lots of adrenal fatigue out there. And it's a tough time because if you're not able to produce sufficient quantity quantities of cortisol, it can be tough to get through that little bit of a window. So sometimes we'll encourage people to really try to eat lunch, but otherwise we'll try to experiment with electrolytes such as sodium to really give the body support to make getting to that dinner hour more pain-free for the individual. So people would go to a 16-hour fast with two meals and then to a 24-hour fast with one meal. And we would do, if someone was doing a 24-hour fast, we would do that about three times a week to really try to combat metabolic syndrome. And then from there, we just assess results. Are you feeling good? Are you seeing your fat loss, if that's the goal? Are you seeing improvement in your blood glucose response, reduction in inflammation, And then we would assess if perhaps an individual needed to do a complete day fast where they skip breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or if they maybe needed to do an extended fast, just if insulin resistance was very high, if they're struggling to come off of insulin to really help bring down their insulin resistance and get them off of these toxic medications.
0: Well said. Yeah, those are a lot of nuggets in that. It was very jam-packed answer. So I recommend actually going back and rewinding that and listening to what you <laughs> shared there. No, it was, it was awesome. I have come to find that eating more protein during the eating window, along with the fat, like you said, really helps. It activates these uh, cholecystokinine and uh, uh, these uh, hormones and chemicals that help satiate you and prevent you from snacking mm-hmm. in between the meals. And the salt, also, a lot of people, they're getting their signals crossed, which is They're not really hungry, it's the the sodium and it's the electrolytes that are low and the signals get crossed and they think they're hungry. I would also love for you to touch upon hunger, the hormone ghrelin, and why it's important to understand that all hormones spike. And as long as we, just give us some tips on when we experience that ghrelin hormone.
1: Yeah, so hunger cycles throughout the day. All of our hormones go up and down throughout the day. So, for people who check their blood pressure all day long, you know, they'll come in and they'll say, Well, why is it higher at noon when it wasn't that high in the morning? And then it goes down in the, in the evening, and none of that makes sense. Or the same thing with blood glucose levels or things like hunger. All of our hormones follow a circadian rhythm. So, they go up and down throughout the day, causing these different responses in us. So we do see ghrelin cycle throughout the day, and we do see these these waves of hunger that come. So often when you do hit a hunger wave due to ghrelin fluctuations, it's best to just to distract yourself. You could try having some natural appetite suppressants like peppermint tea, for example. Some people find that apple cider vinegar and water, just a shot of that is a really great appetite suppressant. Uh, having a little bit of salt can also help suppress the appetite. Uh, but just keeping busy. And most people find that once they get busy for you know 30, 60 minutes, the hunger wave has started to subside. So hormones fluctuate throughout the day. And due to that, you, you experience all different types of fluctuations throughout the day in different functions. And one of them is hunger. So you know, people say, oh am I just broke what's wrong with me just it's normal so just ride out the hunger wave get busy a lot of people actually create some lists of things to do that they can to distract themselves or stress reduction I think in today's day like we're like it's just uh, we were talking earlier like what a freaking bizarre year we're in and there's all kinds of politics and stuff and I think people are just trying to do their best by what's going on around them and and sort it out but stress and then I know parents are navigating like a whole different type of sea of stress right now that I'm fortunate I don't have to deal with so using this time when hunger strikes all right this is where I go and I do that you know 12 minute meditation you know, this is where I go do those, you know, deep breathing exercises, do some red light therapy, like take some time, you know, for yourself, do red light therapy, listen to Ben, you know, and his great words. (laughs) (laughs) And and ride out that hunger wave and just distract yourself. So I've been trying to use it as a positive thing, trying to encourage other people. Okay. When you get those hunger wave, you know, try to look at it in a different perspective. Okay, this is now my time to go do some self-care to help control my cortisol, my stress throughout the day and get distracted doing something else. And not only are you riding up the hunger wave, you're doing something that's also going to help control your hunger later on by controlling your cortisol levels as well.
0: So you you had mentioned glucose fluctuating along with the blood pressure because our hormones are pulsatile, they're up and down. Mm-hmm. So that's important because I get so many of the members of the Keto Camp Academy who are watching right now saying, you know, why is my glucose at this level? But I didn't eat anything. And then yesterday was at this level. So that's why it's important to get an average, maybe a three or four day average. Mm -hmm. There are so many factors besides the fact that, yes, your hormones fluctuate. It could be your sleep wasn't optimal last night. We know Mm -hmm. that. When your sleep is poor, you'll have higher levels of cortisol and glucose will follow. So my question is this, have you ever used or have you ever had your patient's clients use a continuous glucose monitor?
1: Yeah, I wear a Dexcom G6 myself, uh, my insurance covers it, so I wear it, and it's really wild to sort of just see the fluctuations, or see I got really grumpy with my husband um, <laughs> recently, <laughs> I wasn't feeling well that day, but like just seeing how my blood sugar went up, or I was telling Ben I had a bit of an unfortunate incident over the weekend. And so I literally did nothing but try to drink water for like 48 hours straight water, salt, magnesium. That was it. And my blood glucose levels nearly tripled because my body was experiencing some stress and some inflammation at that time. So it's really just crazy to see your body's results or how it handles these certain situations or just the general day-to-day hormonal fluctuations. We actually have a whole bunch of people wearing like the freestyle Libra right now in the community. Yeah, I'm using and- that now.
0: I have one now too. Yeah.
1: It's pretty wild just to see like how your blood sugar changes throughout the night, even due to the hormones, and and mm-hmm. throughout the fast too. Because when you're fasting, you get this production of these counter-regulatory hormones, and you'll see glucose levels start to fluctuate. It's particularly you know, if you're exercising in a ketogenic state and producing even more counter-regulatory hormones, you'll get more cortisol production. You'll see the glucose levels go up. So it's really neat to see, and I think that wearing continuous glucose post monitors is just an incredible tool and I think it really can help shape behavior change definitely helps people snacking prevents people from eating carbs naked Not that like, you can be naked while you eat the carbs, but you don't want to eat like the sweet potato or the berries when you're carb cycling, like just on their own. You want to dress them up with some fat and fiber and protein, right? (laughs) So wearing these CGMs, I mean, it can shape, you know, your behaviors, your stress responses, really guide you towards, you know, breathing and chilling out, going for walks, prioritizing your own health and help you manage your foods but it can really help give you insight and just to these regular rhythms of your body and if your body's rhythms are just really thrown off and your circadian rhythm's out of whack and you're not quite sure what's going on, wearing this CGM can help her maybe provide you with some insight into that and then you can be proactive and start doing things like going outside in the middle of the day, getting you know, direct sunlight, getting sunlight for first thing in the morning and just working on fixing your circadian rhythm issues, getting your hormonal levels in a better sync. So CGMs provide so much wonderful insight, I think.
0: I do too. They're awesome. I have one as well. I, I, for the first time I'm using it, about 10 days in, and it's really fascinating data to see what exercise does to my glucose, to see what <laughs> specific food. It's a great way to determine if you have a sensitivity to a food. Last night, I don't know what I ate, but I, I tested. I, I'm testing throughout the whole day, like 30 times. It's So <laughs> easy. I just put my phone here. I have it right here. And uh, my glucose went up to 145 last night. And I oh. didn't really have that many. I had some fruit, some berries, some pecan butter. So I want to now find out what I ate last night and single it out and see which one of those foods I'm have a sensitivity to. So it might be the blackberries, I suspect. But it's it's cool data to see what's going on. And uh, yeah you could see if you're hitting those optimal ranges, right? You want to be in that 70 to 90 in American units, fasting glucose. It's not telling you your ketones, but you could see how gracefully you're aging, how well your your pancreas is producing insulin to bring the glucose back down. So it's, it's fantastic data. Catherine, who's a member here in the Keto Camp Academy, wants to know how can she get her insurance to cover a continuous glucose monitor?
1: So I am based in Canada. Mind you, most of the people I work with are American. So from engaging with them, a lot of them just call their insurance companies and let them know that they're experiencing certain issues with blood glucose, reactive hypoglycemia, really high Dawn effect, on phenomenon. They're looking for an intervention aside from medication that's more economical. And a lot of them have ended up getting the Libra or the Dexcom covered. now. In Canada, it's an entirely different ballgame when it comes to the prices for these things. We're about, like, I think, about a quarter of the cost of what they are in the United States. So it's more difficult. And here, in all of our insurance companies have coverage for Libras and Dexcoms. So it's more difficult in the United States. So I would just try to call, try to work with your healthcare provider as well, to uh, and see if you can negotiate it. I literally, the reason for mine was preventative medicine. And my insurance company approved that because I don't want to, I said, I don't want to be an insulin case. So I want to learn what diet works best for me and what lifestyle works best for me. So I don't become diabetic and they approved it on the phone. So I think having these conversations are great. Ben, you're in the United States, so it might be a matter. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's great advice right there. I'm actually, I'm going to be interviewing a medical doctor from a company called Levels. They're the ones who sent this to me. So, um, Catherine, anybody else watching from the academy, if you're in the US and you want to learn more, I'm going to ask her these questions. I'm going to interview her in a couple of weeks. But I do think it's important to see if you could have your insurance cover it. I would pay out of pocket personally, but they've taken care of it for me just because they wanted me to test it out. But we'll dive a little bit deeper into that during that interview. I want to take a quick break here to share with you about the dangers So we know that cellular health is key for performance and longevity. So I've been taking Pureform every single day. My dog takes it every single day. So does my girlfriend and my mom. This is how much I love the product. If you want to get your bottle delivered to your door, head over to purelifescience.com. Check them out. Order a bottle or two, and you'll be amazed by how you feel after taking this just after a few days. That is Pureform life science.com use the coupon code ben4 to apply a four dollar off coupon that is ben b-e-n and the number four international shipping is available okay let's go back into this episode of the keto camp podcast why is it important to change up the routine change up your fasting schedule let's say somebody they figure out i do well with an 18-6 schedule and they stay with it and all of a sudden they plateau. Why do we want to always change up? Do we want to always change up our fasting schedule?
1: In certain cases, like for individuals that are doing like a day of fasting, day of eating, day of fasting, day of eating, day of fasting, two days of eating over the weekend, day of fasting, and that usually provides a lot of variation, but when I find people are just having sort of one meal a day or they're doing sort of the 16 hour fast every day, our bodies adapt to that. I struggle a lot with people who do OMAD, and I think for maintenance, OMADs great. I think if you're just looking to shake like 20 pounds and there are no other hormonal issues, rock the OMAD. I pretty much do OMAD myself with two meals a day on the weekend. But like, I'm, for the most part, really kind of happy where I am with most parts of my body. Some parts of my body, I'm still debating... whether they work or not but most like part. I, like
0: I like what you said though rock the omad that would be a cool t-shirt, like a fast <laughs> t-shirt.
1: <laughs> I, I guess it, it's a good thing but when you're looking to lose weight and it's, it's the body adapts to it and so there's a big difference between fast like fasting and calorie restriction and mm-hmm. with fasting it, there's The biggest thing about it is the protection of counter-regulatory hormones because the body is being induced into this fasting state. But I think having the days be varied and be different is important so the body just doesn't adapt. So what we see like with someone who's doing calorie restriction, and unfortunately, I think a lot of people can relate to this analogy that I'm about to use because of COVID right now. But imagine you had to be mindful of your spending. And you needed to reduce your spending by 30% across the board because you're not quite sure about your investments, you're hoping to retire. So maybe you need to be a more conservative with your spending right now because you're not sure what your portfolio is going to look like in 2022. So you reduce your spending by 30%. So you, you might, you know, get rid of one car if you've got two you might look for foods that are on sale versus just saying, oh, I feel like steak tonight and buying steak Well, instead of just buying steak when it's on sale. And that's, you make these changes to your diet and to your lifestyle. And at first, like when you start trying to scale back, you're still overspending. And I think a lot of people have been in this position. uh, I've been a student for like a billion years so like i've been in this position myself in the past you get into a little bit of debt when it's like i was back to school time i'm not earning money The visa goes up a little, but then, like, by November in the school year, you're like, okay, I'm used to student life. I don't got time to spend money anymore. Mm -hmm. And you're able to pay off that debt. So, like, when you're doing calorie restriction, you know, at first, like, if you think of calories as spending dollars for the body, at first, you reduce by like 30%, and your body's still figuring out how to function on 30% less salary. But over time, it does. It cuts expenses from reproduction. It cuts expenses from respiratory function, from cognitive function, from all areas. And the body acclimates and it stays there. And it's like, okay. You know, this is the the new energy intake for the day. This is what we're doing every day. And no changes happen. And you sort of hit a wall. So people who do calorie restriction diets, they lose weight at first, but then they stop. And then they start to feel like garbage because their body is running at a reduced capacity. Now, with alternate daily fasting, you're in a fasted state. So you burn through glycogen stores, you activate your sympathetic nervous system, you get production of counter-regulatory hormones. You get noradrenaline that helps you burn body fat, maintain your resting metabolic rate by you know, accessing all that food energy from your fat stores and liberating it you know, so your body can function throughout the day. Cortisol for gluconeogenesis, you get human growth hormone production. So you get these counter-regulatory hormones that work because it's a shock to the system. Like you're going very dramatic change from what your day was the day before in terms of eating. So you get this activation of the sympathetic nervous system, these counterregulatory hormones, and then noradrenaline, which really helps preserve your resting metabolic rate. So you know at first when you start doing these these diets, you are getting the activation. It is a change. You are burning through a lot of glycogen sores, but over time it starts to become the same. It starts to become repetitive. The body starts to adapt systems start to slow down. And we see a lot of people who have significant weight loss to lose that start doing OMAD, think, hey, 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 this is great. I get used to it. I'm only hungry once a day now anyways. But they're, they're just taking in one meal worth of food. We do find that they start to slow down, that they stop losing weight, that they start gaining weight even. So it's like their body's just totally acclimating and it is slowing down. We're not getting that activation of the sympathetic nervous system like we would if people were doing alternate daily fasting. So we do think, you know, if you're doing true alternate daily fasting, if you're doing these other types of fasts, that it is good to change up to avoid running into any of these issues. I'm not sure if you guys see this in your community. We see it a lot in ours. For people who like to do OMAD, we offer a solution that I think keeps things interesting and as a way to vary it up. Where instead of you're still eating one meal a day, but you're altering like what meal that is that you're having. So we do something in our called the 30-16 fast, where people will have uh, lunch on Monday, dinner Tuesday, lunch on Wednesday, dinner Thursday, lunch Friday, dinner Saturday, and then Sunday could be like a real mix it up day or a fast day, however you want it to be, and. Going from Monday lunch to Tuesday dinner is th- roughly 30 hours, and Tuesday dinner to Wednesday lunch is 16. So that's a great way to do that one meal a day, do it safely, but still keep uh, variation in your fast, keep the body confused, get the sympathetic nervous system activated, get these counter-regulatory hormones produced that do a lot of the magic and get results. And I found that to be a really good strategy for people who don't necessarily want to do a whole lot of fasting, but like some sort of consistency to their routine and like, Being in that sort of OMAD space because it works for their lifestyle. It's just to vary that meal up.
0: Well said. I I love how you broke down that analogy with the saving costs. And it's so true. That's the biggest difference, by the way, between cutting calories with fasting versus cutting calories with small portion controlled meals throughout the day. The biggest difference is those counter regulatory hormones. These hormones, they run counter to insulin. It's actually your your body's way, which is that amazing innate intelligence within us. Your body's way of pumping you full of energy so you could go hunt and kill and and do what you need to do because we're hardwired that way, but we're blessed to not have to do that. So Your body's going to maintain its metabolism, might even increase its metabolism. It's not going to shut down versus if you had these small portion control meals throughout the day, you're cutting calories, but you're not getting that benefit of the counter-regulatory hormones. So that is a big difference. And for those of you who were confused about the OMAD, most of you know what OMAD is, but there was a few in the chat. OMAD is one meal a day. Uh, Kim helped us out there, meaning uh, you just have one meal and you eat until full. You have plenty of fat, plenty of protein. And I love that approach you just explained, the 30-16-hour fast. That is super cool. I think that's a great strategy to add it to the toolbox. So well done, Megan. Okay. So Let's talk a little bit. Let's transition now to your book some more. You have a chapter. I'm going to just open it up here. You have chapter 18 here in the book. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, I have the book here in front of me. If you're listening on the podcast, I'm holding the book, which is called Life in the Fasting Lane, Dr. Jason Fung, Eve Mayer, and of course, Megan Ramos, How to Make Intermittent Fasting a Lifestyle and Reap the Benefits of Weight Loss and Better Health. This is your latest book. and uh, It just came out in last April, I believe.
1: Yeah, it's been wild. (laughs) It came out at the start of all of this COVID stuff here in North America. I actually finally just saw it in a bookstore for the first time. I saw
0: your photo. Congrats. Yeah. (laughs) That must have been, felt so good to see it finally go into a bookstore and see that. It was
1: cool. They like made me get dressed in biohazard gear before going in there, but at least I got to see it.
0: (laughs) Wow. What a world we live in, huh, Megan?
1: Yeah, it's wild.
0: I want to briefly take a break here and let you know about my favorite coffee in the world. Look, I'm a coffee snob for good reasons because the right coffee source can be healing to the body, can reduce inflammation and result in weight loss. The wrong coffee beans could actually increase inflammation, cause weight loss resistance and sabotage your keto results. There was a recent study in the Canadian Journal of Physiology and Pharmacology that showed caffeine intake from coffee beans could actually increase fatty acid production and help the participants produce more ketones. Most coffee beans are loaded with pesticides and contaminants and even mold. This is why I love my friends over at Purity Coffee, hands down the best coffee beans I have ever tried. I have my delicious cup of Purity Coffee in the morning with some grass-fed ghee and MCT oil, and it turns my brain right on and helps my body produce ketones. Purity Coffee is organic, pesticide-free. These beans are specialty-grade, and you could get this coffee shipped straight to your door in nitrogen-flushed bags, roastery fresh. Since you are a listener to the Keto Camp Podcast, we have worked out an exclusive coupon code for you to check out Purity Coffee. Head over to www.puritycoffee.com. KetoCampCoffee.com. Use KetoCamp at checkout to get 10% off your order. Again, that is www.KetoCampCoffee.com. Use the coupon code KetoCamp at checkout for 10% off your bag of coffee beans. Remember, camp is spelled with a K. Okay, let's talk about bad breath or a bad taste in your mouth during a fast.
1: Yeah, so this is really common. People think that something's wrong, or you'll get this white film on your tongue too, and everybody suddenly thinks they might have fresh out of nowhere so a candida infection in your mouth but when it's sort of accompanied with like the dry mouth and this like metallic taste in the mouth but you know our bodies so when we're fasting we access our fat stores we fuel on free fatty acids and we we fuel on ketones and one of the ketone bodies is acetone so we don't really do much with it but breathe out the acetone it's not a ketone body that we utilize so we we breathe it out and it Dehydrates the mouth; it leaves us feeling dry and pasty. It gives us a this little bit of a white tinge on our tongue, and it leaves us not being very kissable to our significant others or <laughs> desirable to the children and people around us. I actually had one patient whose wife like banished him to the bedroom, um, <laughs> and he said, "No, oh, they they tell me at the clinic that this means I'm losing weight, and you're going to find me sexy." She's like, well, I don't find you sexy right now. Like, get away. <laughs> get away. So we call it the keto breath, which I'm sure many of your keto campers are familiar with. And even if you're not following ketogenic diet, you do get into say the ketosis while you're fasting. So you're likely to experience keto breath too. Our community has found that, you know, Oil pulling with like coconut oils is pretty beneficial. Helping to, it's great to do regardless of whether or not you have keto breath. I think it's very like good for getting all of those tiny little junky bacterias out of your mouth. So we recommend that people do that a few times a week just to help. Yeah,
0: great, great explanation there. You know, I would add to this a lot of individuals who are very uh, toxic when they start burning fat cells on. Yeah doing fasting, they'll release that and it might also cause the bad breath as well. So those are fantastic tips. And then brushing your tongue is another option. Bloating. What about that? What if you're bloated during a fast? What does that mean?
1: So <laughs> bloated during a fast, we get some people that feel bloated because they're constipated during their fast. I think it has a lot to do with some adrenal stress. I think that most people have some sub- subclinical adrenal dysfunction or undiagnosed Hashimoto's thyroiditis. I've learned over the years that there's two thyroid antibodies and well, one could be negative, the other one could be positive. And for some rhyme or reason, like 90% of the labs I look at, doctors will order one or the the other and never consistently like either a specific one it's really kind of mind-blowing i think everything we've learned over the last decade that we've been talking about for like keto and fasting and for t- metabolic syndrome like we're going to go through a huge wave of this like thyroid upheaval so i think a lot of it has to do with sort of stress on the thyroid reducing motility in the gut people becoming constipated as well. Sometimes I think it's also due to electrolyte imbalances too, so making sure that you're getting in plenty of sodium and magnesium. We've never been really big on prescribing potassium, except in rare situations amongst our patient population, because they all tend to be quite higher in potassium anyways. So we haven't gone there. we really just focused on sodium as sort of the gateway electrolyte. And if we can try to sustain healthy sodium levels, we will preserve, hopefully, magnesium levels, but we include a lot of magnesium supplementation. And just by doing that, we hope that we are able to sort of sustain potassium uh, as a side effect of that.
0: Awesome. All right, let's do a couple more here, and then we'll get into some questions. What about if you're getting diarrhea when you're fasting? What does that mean?
1: Yeah. So a lot of the time it could be the detox. We do see some bile dumping happening when people do extended fasts, but sometimes too, it's, you know, if your insulin level is high, you jump into a fast, your insulin level is going to drop very rapidly. As your insulin level drops rapidly, it sends a signal to your kidney to release excess water. And so your kidneys can't necessarily handle urinating out or like processing for urination, all of that water. So some of it just goes out through your colon in the form of loose stools and, and diarrhea. Um, it's not a bad thing. Your body's getting rid of excess water, but you do run the risk of dehydration. So if you are experiencing loose stools, you might want to stick to shorter fasts for a little while till your insulin levels fall down. Make sure you're really stabilizing your diet on your eating day You're trying to stay consistent, especially if if you're experiencing this issue due to low insulin levels, trying to Stabilize your carb intake, reduce it on your eating days to prevent large insulin fluctuations, uh, and then you know just hydration, hydration, hydration. Which is not just water; it's water and electrolytes.
0: Awesome, great answer. Okay, what about the opposite of diarrhea, which is constipation? Why might that happen when you are fasting?
1: I think, again, that goes back to sort of a suppressed thyroid function when people are first starting to fast. We see it, too. Like, we see issues with pre-T3 levels when people are brand new to fasting. So we see this almost like hypothyroid-induced state if the individual already did have some degree of subclinical hypothyroidism or hypothyroidism as it is. And that's usually just sort of an introductory thing as the body figures out that, okay, What are you doing? (laughs) Like you used to eat like all of the time, and now you're not eating at all, and it's sort of this heightened stress alarm state. But stick with it, hang in there. We do see you know a lot of once inflammation is reduced, a lot of improvement in thyroid function and a percentage of the population. I think there's many different etiologies around thyroid dysfunction. A lot of them, I think, have to do with inflammation, cellular inflammation, and once that inflammation is reduced, we see improvements in in thyroid symptoms anyways. But at the start, it's a stressful event on the body that's already toxic, like you mentioned, already struggling with inflammation, already having suppressed thyroid function or having dysfunction. So it's a shock, but just hang in there. Be consistent. If it's too stressful, scale back on the fasting a little bit. And then again, with hydration, keep it up, keep the water and the salt up to support the system. That often helps quite a bit. So I would go those routes. I found often too that adding fiber, like in the form of psyllium or chia, actually makes these in, these individuals, the ones who get constipated from fasting, even more constipated. Adding those items, in for people who experience loose stools can help bulk up the stools, but for the constipated crowd, it seems to make things 100 times worse. And even personally, I experienced that back in the day. I'm still scared of psyllium. (laughs)
0: Traumatized.
1: (laughs) But you could also try taking a magnesium salt, like magnesium citrate, just to help get things moving if you're really uncomfortable as well.
0: Yeah, and if you have diarrhea, stay away from magnesium citrate. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, switcher to thronate, by glycinate, malate, a different type of magnesium salt that's perhaps more well absorbed.
0: Uh, what about this one I saw that I get asked all the time, I made a video about it, but why would we get cold during a fast?
1: So there's a couple of different reasons. I think that the thyroid might be one of them as well. So that initial sort of thyroid stress. Another one that we commonly see is we see it associated with very low ketone levels. So people that are struggling to access their fat stores and burn fat efficiently. And we usually see that the warmth improves sort of in correlation with higher ketone levels. So in terms of having to become better at liberating one's fat stores, I, I don't know what you've seen, seen Ben.
0: Yeah. I know that when you're fasting, you're activating some more of the brown fat, the brown adipose yeah. tissue, which could also take blood flow away from the muscles and it moves blood flow around, which could result in that. That was interesting what you shared about those who are having issues getting good amount of ketones. I'm gonna pay attention to that and see if I could correlate that as well. I also I saw a study in mice that showed mice with low levels of orexin, which is a brain neurotransmitter, they were shivering more often. And so some people have lower levels of orexin, so caffeine could actually help that and make it a little bit higher. So caffeine could help, moving around could help, That's getting those ketones up could help, but it, it's so common. I don't know if you see it, but I see a lot of people ask me about being cold during a
1: fast. It's, it's really common, and I have only a handful of people that once like we don't get them into a like a, of a fat-adapted state, usually, almost always, I see it reverse in a fat-adapted state. But there's a handful of individuals that just don't quite shake it ever. It seems like, and a lot of these individuals, one who I can think of just coming to mind, I was talking to him earlier today. I mean, he's hit his health goals. You know, he's 17% body fat for a 70-year-old. He's been off of his diabetic medications for years, on zero medications, wonderful health great inflammatory markers, doing really well. So I thought was really interesting. I didn't know about that. So I'm going to tell him to maybe enjoy his coffee. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, it could help. It could, or even tea with caffeine. Yeah, so I'm curious to let me know if that works for you.
1: <laughs> well.
0: Okay, we have Amanda over there in the UK says, what does Megan think of the use of metformin for women with PCOS? Even if I'm on a keto diet and not a type 2 diabetic, can it still help?
1: So, I mean, metformin in general, I think is a pretty benign medication. I do know a lot of people out there, like we have 22 year olds begging us for prescriptions for it because for longevity reasons, I'm not necessarily completely taken by the science on it personally, but I don't think there's harm in taking it. In terms of PCOS, I don't necessarily think it's necessary. You know, we've seen, I've seen personally, incredible improvements, reversals of PCOS just through nutrition and fasting without the addition of a medication. So I don't think it's harmful, a long-term data on it. I haven't found to be discouraging patients who choose to stay on it. I'm in support of, or if they, you know, are really sort of PCOS, very concerned about fertility. I can relate to that. Because I'm trying to plan for a family one day post pandemic era, <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> um, so I understand wanting to get your body into good shape. So I don't necessarily think it's harmful, but you don't. I don't think it's necessary. We've seen incredible improvements with fasting, with uh, keto, uh, but fasting and doing keto like in uh, carb cycling appropriately to support female hormones.
0: Yeah, you know, that's a great segue because somebody asked, when should we start keto flexing? So that's my terminology for carb cycling. When do you think that's appropriate for somebody?
1: We were talking about this too in our community yesterday. I mean, if some I think it depends too on the health goals um and why an individual's there to see you. So if this but if someone is extremely diabetic, like an insulin-dependent diabetic, is still navigating a C of issues like food addiction issues, emotional issues when it comes around food. You know, we try to stay pretty ketogenic with them at the start, just because even a little bit having that food around in their home, it ends up being counterproductive. So any benefits they would get from cycling in some carbohydrates on um, the weekend ends up going out the window and it's just not good. So, usually, we introduce it to people, especially women, when they're, I think, like the halfway mark throughout their journey. So, at this point, you know, they're off the majority of their diabetic medications. They're seeing much more improved glucose control, really huge reduction in inflammatory markers and, and symptoms uh, alleviated across the board, a much better relationship. With with food and body image. They've uh, developed some other great stress management techniques rather than food comfort. And at this point, they're not necessarily looking at these like food items. Like I'm talking like real food, like sweet potatoes, for example, for carb cycling. And They no longer look at it and see fear. They look at it and say, okay, that is a real food. And if consumed properly, you know, it's probably not going to be that counterproductive. And we find that most people sort of hit this midway through their journey. And that carb cycling, I find, really helps support female hormones. It helps support adrenal function. It helps support thyroid function. We see people midway through a journey too. If a woman has been doing straight keto and has been uh, fasting quite a quite a lot we do sort of see them hit this plateau where it's difficult for them to access body fat despite changing up the fasting and everything else and introducing carb cycling provides them i think with enough that hormonal support just to help them and it's crazy because within a couple of weeks they're suddenly dropping a few pounds and they're mm-hmm. feeling good and sleep is better so it's usually around that halfway mark i find that it's just logistically, it complicates things at the start because there are so many issues. And then, okay, we just really want to get this person off insulin. So it's just weighing the pros and the cons of the situation at the
0: time. Yeah, great answer. That's a similar approach to what I teach in the academy. I have four pillars. The last pillar is the keto flexing. And if somebody reaches that pillar, which is typically about after three months of starting their journey, if they've reached a pillar, but they still have insulin resistance or type two diabetic, then you could get an effect by just having a high protein day and just getting more M4 on that day, right? So that could be something that you do. I know David, who's on here watching Type 1 Diabetic, I have him do that because he's Type 1 as opposed to increasing his carbs too much. Yeah. Okay, we have a question here from Kira who just joined the Academy uh, earlier today. She's also in Canada. She, She says, hi, Megan, I have started to experience right elbow joint pain after fasting and starting a keto diet. Could you suggest some remedies or possibly clarify what might not be working for me?
1: So this is an uncommon to sort of experience some joint discomfort when people are new to fasting. And there's a few different reasons why this might be? So, of course, there's there's general like detoxing that can be happening. There's uh, electrolyte deficiencies that could be happening. We also see increases in uric acid levels when people are brand new to fasting. So, fasting can, when someone just starts fasting, it can sometimes trigger gout attacks by increasing uric acid levels. And we see this because the body becomes a bit dehydrated because we see that insulin drop and we lose salts. So it could probably be related to uric acid levels, I would suspect. So one thing just in general to cover your bases is getting in more salt with water. Uric acid levels too, we sometimes add in a little bit of lime juice if we suspect that's an issue. Lime juice, lime's a great solvent for uric acid, so that might help. If there's a electrolyte issue, adding in salt can't go wrong, can help with that as well.
0: Yeah, great answer. I love that. Uh, Michelle, for someone with difficulty to build muscle and maintain muscle, is fasting doable? I will take your answer to my doctor for discussion before attempting to implement. Awesome. So what do you think?
1: Yeah, fasting is definitely doable. So I would want to investigate further, you know, why you're having issue building and maintaining muscle. If you don't already know, investigate that with your doctor further. I and mean, Perhaps you need some thyroid uh, support there just to help or looking into other areas of why that might be a potential issue. But with fasting, we get all these counter-regulatory hormones I've talked about. And one one of them is human growth hormone, which we haven't mentioned. And so, human growth hormone is great. I mean, it helps us, uh, you know, grow and be strong. And when we're young, we produce a lot of it. But as we age, we don't really produce any of it. <laughs> so, right. um, so that's difficult. So. We want to be nice and strong as we get older, but we don't want to grow too much or experience too much growth because that's very counterproductive for longevity and puts us at risk for all kinds of other unwanted health conditions. Right. But when you do these intermittent periods of fasting and getting these, you know, periodic shots of human growth hormone, it's great. So what happens is you fast and then you enter the the feeding cycle again. And you get amino acids from the protein that I assume that you're eating at that meal. You'll get some insulin secretion as a result in the presence of human growth hormone. And the, those three items are sort of create the perfect storm for you to gain lean mass. So we see, like I've had patients that like are like double amputees, uh, wheelchair bound, and they gain lean mass fasting when we do composition analysis on them because of the counter-regulatory hormones, because of human growth hormone perception and that fasting feeding cycle. So it's been really wonderful. We've seen improvements in elderly women in terms of their osteoporosis, which has been amazing. Uh, lots of improvements in lean mass gain. So fasting may actually help and be productive uh, for helping you maintain and gain some lean mass.
0: There you go. Megan, where is the best place for the keto campers to go check out your work?
1: Yeah, so you can come check us out on uh, uh, thefastingmethod.com. Geez, I'm losing my mind. On August 17th, <laughs> we're launching a completely new website and a completely new program. So it will be much cooler looking on the 17th. So if you're interested in learning more, checking out our blogs, we have tons of free blogs and information up on the website but if you want to see it in a cooler format put the 17th of august in your calendar <laughs> we'll, put,
0: we'll put that link down below also a link for your your latest book down below megan you're a wealth of information thank you so much for your brilliance and your expertise i'm, I'm grateful to know you and i'm grateful for this conversation so thank you for coming back to the show
1: uh awesome ben thank you so much i'm so grateful for you too
0: Well, there you have it. Megan is always so much fun to speak with. As you can tell, she has so much research and experience and knowledge, and she works with Dr. Jason Fung, who is a legend in our space, who's also been on the Keto Camp podcast, and he's coming back soon. Uh, I'll link his episode as well as the previous episode Megan was on in the notes of this podcast. So Go do that. Go check out The Fasting Method. Go get her book, Life in the Fasting Lane. We're going to put links and resources for all of that. In the notes of this podcast, if you want to watch the video version of this interview with Megan, this can be found on our Keto Camp YouTube channel. Head to youtube.com slash KetoCamp to check out the video interview with Megan. I want to encourage you to take a screenshot of this episode of the KetoCamp podcast and post it on Instagram. When you post it on Instagram, shoot me a tag at Benazati and shoot Megan Ramos a tag at Megan J. Ramos and also at fastingmethod.com. When we see it, we'll share it on our stories and we'll get some other keto campers following you back. Text this episode to a friend, somebody you believe who could get value from this. Send it to them via text right now. It'll really make a big difference for them. Then I also encourage you to leave the show a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you do take a screenshot, send that screenshot to support at ketocamp.com and put your shipping address in the United States and we will send you a signed copy of my best-selling fasting book as a thank you for leaving an honest rating and review of the show. Last reminder is that my upcoming webinar, The Art of Fasting is available. Limited spots are left. Head to benazadiwebinar.com, check it out, get signed up for it, it's free and be blown away by the cutting-edge research on fasting. I thank you so much for listening to the entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. Thank you for spending part of your day with me. You'll hear me on the next one.